You've tuned into Tomcat Tales, the story of Ashland's legends from the gridiron, the court, the diamond, and beyond. It's a deep dive into Ashland Tomcat sports history. Now, here's your host, Mark Maynard. Government, government, and he's worked with presidents, and he has uh, just done a whole lot in his life. He really has. He's been the president of the, of the U.S. Soccer Association and was instrumental in bringing the World Cup here. But before all that, John Koskinen was a football player for the Ashland Tomcats in the late 1950s. He was a center and a captain as a senior in 1956, along with Robert Wright. He was the 1957 class president, edging out, hired Humphreys, who says he's never really gotten over that. And uh, John has, has not ever forgotten his old high school. He almost never misses a 1957 class reunion and he was a cornerstone donor for the new Putnam Stadium. So uh, simply put, John Koskin is a pretty big deal and a pretty big Tomcat. Welcome, John. It's an honor to have you on here. Mark, it's my pleasure. I really appreciate uh, you giving me the opportunity to share some experiences with you. Yeah, I, I know uh, I've got to turn the clock back a little bit into the into the 1950s, and uh, we've the, the podcast has, has been – centered around Herb Connolly, actually, the first 10. And, and of course, Herb was a, a sophomore year, senior year. And I, I know you know what a what a tough guy he was even then, I'm sure. But uh, he, he speaks highly of you, as people around here in Ashland do. And, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you on here. You you uh, you were in the – tell me a little bit about about how you came to Ashland. I know you, you weren't born here and, and, and all that. So tell me a little bit about that background. Well, I was born in Cleveland and lived there until I was 12 in the seventh grade. And at the second semester of my seventh grade, my father got a job with Ashland Oil. And so we moved from Cleveland to Ashland. And so I went to uh, Putnam Junior High School uh, that uh, second semester, uh, must have been in 1951. And um, so then went to Putnam uh, for three years and then to Ashland uh, for three years. So have always viewed myself as uh, being from Ashland, Kentucky, and always proud of it. Yeah, I, I, I know. I was going to mention that. I think uh, Ashland's as much your hometown as, as any place. And, and I guess, you know, those years you're talking about, you're 12, 13 years old uh, when you when you come to Ashland, and, and certainly those are, are formative years that, that, that none of us ever forget, you know, that time. What, what was it like in Ashland then? Was, I know it was a big, it was a pretty big city at that time. Right. It has, you know, as everybody on the podcast knows, uh, Kentucky's always been a state of smaller cities. So Ashland had about 32,000 people and was the fifth largest city in the state, you know, after Louisville, uh, Lexington, uh, Paducah, and uh, uh, I guess Frankfurt would have been the others. Uh, so while it was small compared to Cleveland, which at that time had about 850,000 people, my mother wasn't quite sure where we were moving. Uh, but at 32,000, it was the uh, certainly the biggest city by far in northeastern K- uh, Kentucky. Very prosperous. Uh, there were four chemical plants uh, on the river. Ashland Oil had two refineries. Armco had a big uh, rolling mill, an outdoor rolling mill. Right, right. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was quite a place in the 50s, and probably our probably the boom time if, if there if that's a word you can use with that but i mean we had more people here more people working and uh like you say one of the one of the biggest cities in kentucky at that time uh tomcat football was big always was, has always been big that that uh, at least 
from what I can tell from from history and and going back and uh, you know really big in the 30s of course uh, when they had some of their greatest teams I think and but there was a, a tradition and a, and a mystique that kind of carried over I think from that from that era that carried into the 40s and, and even into the 50s I think uh, can you remember growing up. Did, did you go to the Tomcat games, like you know, when you were at Putnam and and uh, during Never, that time? Ne- and I've always been, uh, and my dad was also a sports junkie, so I never missed a uh, Tomcats game from that time. Uh, okay. Obviously, in the spring of my seventh grade year, but from the eighth grade on, I went to every game. Wow! So, who, who were some of the people you looked up to uh, as well, far as Tomcat playing? Well, you know, they had some uh, great players. Uh, Don Clare was uh, a wonderful player there uh, uh, in the uh, 52-53 time. Uh, Larry Hiley was a player who bridged over into my sophomore year. He was a senior that year. Uh, Roger Brown's been a close friend of mine and a teammate of mine from Putnam days on. His brother, Dick Brown, who went on to play at Eastern Kentucky, uh, was a, uh, a, a star then. And so we... You know, we had uh, a number of uh, guys to look up to. to um, uh, Buffalo Bill Hopkins uh, was, a, <clears throat> was a great back uh, for oh, yeah. uh, Ashland in those days. So, And I remember uh, Ivan Canute. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if anybody else does. But <laughs> I was oh, a oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Great, great runner and, um, uh, you know, always fun to watch. And <clears throat> I would urge people on the podcast listening, and if they have not bought, uh, Ashland Tomcats football, a total history running from 1900 to 2018 by uh, compiled by one guy. What's his name? Mark Maynard. Uh, it's a spectacular collection of the history of Ashland uh, football. And you can see rosters and scores and pictures. And, uh, you know, I've been delighted to be an owner ever since it was published. But it gives you some reminders. So for people who think, gee, how does he remember all of that? Uh, some of it I remember thanks to Mark. <laughs> well, that's great. Thanks for that plug. I appreciate that. Uh, it it is a it's an interesting work for sure. The uh, you know I, I, one thing I've been kind of working on in the last little bit uh, is a, a Qantas Bowl history because they they're not going to be able to have the Qantas Bowl this year for the first time in 68 years uh, because of COVID. And um, what we're doing we're gonna we're gonna simulate a game. And we're doing it from the time that the Qantas Bowl was uh, between Coles and Putnam. You know, they played, Coles and Putnam played before it was the Qantas Bowl, which 1952 was the first one, and it goes until 1978. So right. do you remember the Qantas Bowl? Do you remember playing in it? I agree. <laughs> it was a big event in those days, especially if you were, you know, in junior high school and playing. I remember. You know, I'd come from Ashland uh, and had, had no organized football uh, in Cleveland for uh, kids in grade school or even jun- until you got to junior high school. Uh, so I went out for football because, you know, as I say, I was a kind of football junkie and uh, played or practiced with a team as an eighth grader, but uh, there were a limited number of uniforms, and so I did not dress for the eighth grade game uh, when Buddy Sexton and a lot of guys I played with subsequently uh, we're on the Putnam team, uh, but then, uh, yeah, I uh, dressed, played. I was a starter in the '54 uh, uh, game, game uh, which okay. is, I seem to recall. Although I don't have, I think we lost that one seven to six uh, oh, to wow. Coles, yeah. and and they never let us forget it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was a Bronco, so just to let you know. But anyway, yeah, you otherwise <laughs> seem like such a nice guy. <laughs> 
it's it's interesting though, you know, that like I said, and what I did, I took, um, I made rosters up from from those 26 years, and if you made honorable mention all state or any other all state, you were on the roster, and uh, it's about a hundred players that that came from that, and then I'm going to simulate a game. So I hope I won't let my Coles bias show during that, but we'll we'll have to see about that. Uh, but anyway, it's it, you know, Qantas Bowl was a great tradition, like you said. Really, it was a big deal back then. You know, it was it was a real big deal, and uh, and it was you know even after '78. In case you you didn't know, they you know the I, I know you know the, the schools consolidated, so obviously you didn't have the two junior highs you know feeding in like you did for years and years and years. And uh, Ashland and Russell started playing a Qantas Bowl, and they've actually played more of those than they played from the original Qantas Bowl. But um, right. anyway, a great tradition in Ashland. I, I, some of the guys have told me, and I don't know if you were, if your group was part of this, they would, they would play the B team against a combination Coles-Putnam team at the end of the season. And I, uh, well, now, you know, it, it was varied. When I was at, uh, <clears throat> at Putnam, let's say in the 54, uh, or I guess it would have been the 53 season, I graduated <laughs> in 54. But, in the 53 right. season, shortly obviously after the Kiwanis Bowl started, the tradition then was during the year, you know, the only, they weren't, because Ashland was larger, so you ended up as a junior high school, you played the high school B teams, you played Ironton B team, uh, you know, which right. was a, uh, quite a challenge, uh, and you played the Tomcat B team, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, your goal was to survive, and I remember thinking, wow, this is great when I get to uh, high school, and I'm playing, uh, you know, uh, football probably on the sophomore team, the B team. We'll get to come back and play, you know, younger guys. <laughs> yeah. And somehow the year <laughs> they ran all over us when I was a ninth grader, they quit doing that. <laughs> so we missed our option to do it. So uh, the uh, uh, Ashland High School did not play Coles or Putnam or a, combine, a combination of them while I was in high school. So they must have started that afterwards. So, so you, you all played at Putnam, though, right, uh, in junior high? I mean, you, Yes, so in other words, we yeah. we uh, practiced on uh, – <laughs> we used to in the uh, spring in the early fall in August, uh, we practiced on the parking lot, which was hilly, as you may recall, in those days, and you would – it would have four-foot-high weeds. So the first few days, uh, the drill was just to run around in circles and trample down the weeds and get in shape. But the great <laughs> thing was, yeah, we dressed in the uh, – in the stadium and played uh, our games in the stadium. Can, can you remember your first time, uh, you know, actually as a player? I mean, obviously you've been there as a fan, you know, as, as a young young boy and probably had run around the end zones like we all did back then. Can you remember your first time as a player walking into to Putnam Stadium, walking into that locker room? Uh, you know, I, know, I can. I know it's been uh, a while. Was, <laughs> yeah, it's been a while, but it was, uh, you know, to some extent we had an advantage because we, uh, dressed in that locker room so that, uh, you know, we'd been in the locker room before. But I remember walking out onto the field with, uh, you know, Putnam had these kind of stripes on the shoulders and with the, with the uniform, my first game in a uniform, uh, to play a game. And, uh, you know, it was exciting. Uh, you were a little nervous. I was a lineman. <laughs> Somebody asked me once, how did you end up being a lineman? And I tell them, well, when I went out in uh, the spring of the seventh grade, uh, you know, they lined people up, uh, quarterbacks, halfbacks. And when they got down to guards, there were just three guys. And I thought, well, that's my position. <laughs> so <laughs> there was less competition. Uh, so I became a lineman from the start. Uh, so you have less butterflies. You know, if you're a quarterback, you worry about you're going to fumble the ball, you're going to throw it to the wrong guy. 
Uh, as a lineman, all you worry about is can I play uh, uh, tougher than the guy who's going to be in front of me? And I think we were yeah, playing the Ironton B team, which you know, <laughs> was a bunch of big guys. Wow. Yeah. Um, the year before, Putnam had been very successful because we had uh, Buddy Sexton and us, you know, some of the guys were, uh, who had been uh, who became really good players and stars at the high school. Uh, we were a little more challenged uh, my year, and so uh, uh, <clears throat> we didn't beat the Ironton B team, and I've forgotten the other <laughs> B teams we played. But I remember it was just a great experience, and uh, we were excited, and um, you know, I just wouldn't have missed it. Mm-hmm. So you, you you went on and and played. Did, you, you played all three years. I guess you were on the B team in in '54. Your sophomore right. year. Right. Yeah, I played on the B team. There were in those days. Although my year, there were three or four, or maybe five guys who played on uh, at least played at least a game in the varsity, <laughs> so you got listed on the roster. Uh, right. Although they didn't letter, other Bob, uh, Bob Wright was a great player, probably the best player in my class, and he played pretty regularly as a sophomore. But if you look at the rosters for my junior and senior year, there are virtually uh, no sophomores on the roster. And uh, you know, we'll talk a little. Herbie came up as a sophomore uh, in the early part of my senior season and joined us and did a great job. Yeah. But the tradition yeah, yeah. was that sophomores played pretty much on the sophomore team. Uh, and then moved up as juniors uh, to the varsity. So I played exactly. the whole, my whole sophomore year uh, on the uh, B team of the, what was then known as the sophomore team. Right. Yeah, I, I was going to say that that was kind of just how it was. You you had to be pretty pretty special to play as a sophomore, and really very few very few played as sophomores. And and as you said, you you look at that roster. There's there's four or five listed on the roster, which means they probably got in maybe a game or a quarter or whatever. They probably didn't even let her. But, uh, you know, the, the, your sophomore season, you guys, uh, the Tomcats went 4-5-1. and one, And uh, that was with Denver Ball uh, as the head coach. And Denver was uh, the coach your junior year as well. And that was actually, that would be his, his last season uh, as head coach. Um, I, I, it's interesting. Your, your old team, I'm, I'm looking at the roster, the, the, your junior year, you had – you had one guy over 200 pounds, and you know that that's just fascinating to me. But I guess people were just smaller then, you know. Well, than they are now. You know, yeah, it was a combination. Of the, even at the time, I, my mother was a great collector of uh, newspaper articles, <laughs> so there, I had a whole box of them I inherited, included Rusty McGill uh, stories, and he noted, and Denver noted that the the uh, uh, 55 team, my junior year, was the lightest team in Ashland history. Now, to some oh, extent, wow. it was light because Gilly Lehman and Buddy Sexton were, you know, 130-pounders, uh, and so that lowered the rate. But uh, my uh, sophomore year, that 4-5-1 or five and one year, had several large, big guys. Uh, Jim Sparks, uh, John Z- Zakem, um, Larry Hiley were guys, you know, 200, 220, 230. Uh, but, yeah, once you got to my junior and senior year, um, uh, I think my senior year we didn't have anybody at 200. I think uh, Cliff Lyons and Ed Sexton were close. Uh, but it's a combination of, you know, it's a long time ago. People eat better, uh, get vitamins. Uh, as a general matter, people are bigger now. And in those days, uh, virtually nobody lifted weights. Um, and Gilly Lehman did it secretly because he was so small. I think he was 117 in junior high school. And part of his toughness was that um, he had lifted weights between his uh, sophomore and senior year. So by the senior year, I think he was up to 130 pounds or 132, uh, but lightning quick. Uh, and he was tough. 
but so people didn't lift weights. So you were if you weighed 170, you were 180. You were naturally a reasonably good sized guy. And in fact, when I played, and you played guys, the guys you didn't want to play with 190 pounders. Uh, the 230 pounders were just sort of overweight guys. They were not six foot five muscled uh, guys who ran yeah. you know four or five hundred. So it was right. a different era to that extent. But we even in that different era. Uh, my uh, junior and senior year, we were small. We got outweighed um, uh, in my senior year. Uh, you know, we were being outweighed in some games by games by 25 pounds a person. You guys had uh, a really balanced attack, though. Uh, Ralph Clear and, and Dilly Clayman and, and Bob Wright all had over 500 yards rushing a year, and then Buddy Sexton had nearly 300, and, and John Dixon had a, a couple hundred. So. You know, heavy run offense, which back then, of course, it, it was, you know, for, for pretty much everybody. Um, and, and you were a center. So you, you moved from guard to center at some point. Like you said, I guess you followed Larry Hiley, who uh, I think he was a center, wasn't he? Uh, well, he was he ultimately was a tackle. He had a shoulder problem, so his senior year he didn't get to play much. Uh, you know, Denver was a, <laughs> was a fascinating guy. He decided this was going to really be a first-class program. So we went to summer camp. Before my sophomore year, which is how I got to know Hiley and some of these other guys as well, uh, for a week and played Prestonsburg in a scrimmage, uh, and he provided athletic equipment to everybody, so you didn't provide your own T-shirts and equipment. Um, and then my junior year, he decided we'd run the single wing as well as the T formation. Uh, so as everybody else was moving away from the single wing, uh, we ran them both. So what happened was my junior year, uh, we went to La- Lafayette to play the first game, uh, and in those days, you know, we took the train <laughs> to, to Lexington uh, the afternoon, and then you played that evening, so you didn't really have much time to rest. <clears throat> and I didn't play uh, much, if at all, in that game, and we lost, <clears throat> I don't know, 12-7 to 7 or something. And that next day, Denver being, uh, I guess that was a, might have been a Friday night game. It seemed to me the next day, either Saturday or Sunday, we went down to Prestonsburg to do a scrimmage, and he took the guys who hadn't played as much uh, against Lafayette. And somehow in all of that, they decided uh, that uh, they wanted to move the line around a little. And the next thing I knew, I was, for the next game, the starting center. Uh, so, you know, I had to quickly oh. learn how to be a center. And so, yeah, so I was the center for the next uh, next couple of years. So that, of course, that, uh, and you all played Catlicksburg that next week, and and got got the first win, got your first win. I guess as a starting center, big win, thirty-four to nothing. Uh, interesting um, assistant coaches on, on uh, Denver's uh, staff that year were uh, Bob Coburn, Bob Lavoy, who was also the basketball coach, big tall guy. Uh, yep. Rex Miller, of course, and, and Bob Sang, who you know was he was a terrific coach. I mean, he he knew he knew as much as any of those five, I'm sure, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, and and I know, you know, I know, I, I knew Bob from, uh, I'm good friends with his son, uh, Rick. So uh, we were in the same neighborhood. So I, I, I knew Bob as a, you know, a neighborhood guy too, I guess, but uh, a, a great person and, and uh, excellent he, coach. And, you know, he, you got he was a great him. guy. He was the line coach and he arranged for his homeroom. Uh, to have uh, Roger, me, and a few other the football players. So for three years I was in uh, uh, Coach Sang's home room. And then my dad died, uh, unfortunately, just uh, in August before my senior year. And so uh, Coach Sang kind of became a a substitute or an alternate father for me. And we kept in touch Mm -hmm. every time I came back to Ashland. 
uh, he and I and Marlene would go down to the bluegrass and have uh, uh, flying saucers uh, and just keep up with each other. And so I followed his career as he went to uh, Gallipolis and then to Huntington. And, of course, he had a great career as a head coach in Huntington. But he really was a knowledgeable guy and uh, just a great human being. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he coached for 50 years. I mean, can you imagine that? That's just that's un, unheard of. You know, you, I coached the coach last five years now. He's doing good. So I, yeah. that's, to me, that's just incredible that he was able to to, to be a coach for 50 years. So, but uh, anyway, your 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 junior year it really was it was really a pretty successful year because I, I know then I'm looking at the schedule. Man, it, I mean. There's there's no there's no gimmies in that that's for sure I mean you you got Stonewall Jackson and Ironton and Point Pleasant and Fort Thomas Highlands uh, I tell you something interesting about the Highlands game you, you all tied them 2020 uh, Ashland has not beaten them since 1954 that was the last time Ashland the Tomcats beat Fort Thomas Highlands so it, so it's been a while <laughs> yeah no no that was the year I remember. Uh... Reading through the news articles, Manuel outweighed us by 20 pounds a man, and Mail outweighed us by wow. 25. And wow. in those days, you know, it's different now. It's actually, they in those days they didn't have classifications. You just played whoever you played. So we always played uh, Louisville schools, uh, played Highlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we played Paducah Tillman, although we didn't my two years. But you know, we signed up Danville uh, for my senior year, and. Uh, uh, so you just had to, and you know, we went to. In fact, Denver at one point was saying we should play Massillon, and I remembered my years <laughs> in Cleveland and thought, yeah, I don't know if playing Massillon is such a good idea. <laughs> playing Portsmouth and Ironton is good enough, but you had to go a long way. I mean, um, we moved to mm-hmm. Washington, and people here would talk about away games of 15 or 20 miles. You know, that's a long way. And I said, you don't know an away game until you go 200 miles uh, by bus. <laughs> that's yeah, an away yeah. game. Yeah, uh, yeah, but when you go, when, when you go to Louisville, uh-huh. or yeah, or like you said, or, t- or take the train. I mean, my goodness. Uh, but it, anyway, you're all season. Like I said, you beat Calixburg thirty-four nothing. Then you beat Stonewall Jackson, which is that was, that's always a great win when you can beat them. And um, we, yeah, we hadn't beaten them in something like ten years. It's my one of my favorite <laughs> memories. Goes back to how big guys are. You know, Stonewall had uh, I think won eight or nine in a row against Ashland and was a good team. So they play, show up at Putnam Stadium, and they have some big guy who weighs about 230. And so he's playing right over center. And the first offensive play, he comes in, and I end up about five or seven yards back in the backfield. And I thought, well, this is going to be a long night. And I never could quite figure out what happened. Uh, either he ran out of gas because he was out of shape, or you know, I was a, a reasonably good blocker, but I don't think I was intimidating that way. By the end of the first quarter, I'm moving him to the right, I'm moving him to the left, and it looked apparently awesome in the stands because there's this humongous guy. And I was a pretty good guy, size guy. You know, I was six feet tall and weighed 175, but he was a lot bigger. And, you know, we'd run to the left, we'd run to the right. And it was uh, afterwards I remember thinking, well, you know, it pays to play the guys who weigh 240 if they're not weightlifters and not the guys who weigh 190. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're a lot slower, so you're, you're getting the jump on them, and and you're getting leverage yeah. on them, and everything else. Yeah, so well, that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting too, like you said, that that the bigger guys, the, the the few that there were, they weren't really the dominating guys. They were just kind of big, heavy guys, basically. So yeah. um, now you took a guy but, like Larry Highly. Larry was about two hundred, but Larry was quick. And he was mm-hmm. tough, and it was too bad he had uh, a shoulder problem. I remember at summer camp. 
uh, before his senior year there. He'd had a shoulder problem, and he separated it again at the camp, and so he, they tried to put braces on it. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was a, uh, uh, probably the best lineman in the time I was in uh, in Ashland. John, how big a deal was it to, to be a Tomcat uh, during that time? I mean, at it, school? Was a, or... it, it was a big deal. You know, it was Friday night lights. Uh, you know, there was no, uh, in those days, no nearby professional uh, teams. Uh, Marshall was by and everybody rooted for Kentucky. But, you know, in terms of things going on, Friday night, that was the only game in town. Uh, and so, and people paid a lot of attention and, uh, you know, were concerned or uh, delighted depending on the outcome. And it's applied to basketball as well. I mean, high school sports in Ashland were yeah. a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and still are, which is, you know, remarkable considering, you know, the, the way the world is and the way things are, but, you know, it, it's still, you know, that small community. And I think, like you said, the, it's the Friday night thing to do. You go to the Putnam Stadium, you know, and watch the Tomcats. Um, you guys uh, lost to Portsmouth 21-6 uh, at Portsmouth, and at that point you're you're 2-2. Two and two. So, uh, you know, they, I, I know how Ashland fans are. You know, they're they're with you, win or tie. And uh, let's, not lose a, let's, let's not lose a game or, you know, it's, it's not good. So um, you guys get on a little bit of a roll there uh, from that point and, and, and actually won three in a row against some pretty good people. Uh, Huntington East, yeah, Ironton, no. and Pleasant. You know, those are all great wins. Yeah, no, they were uh, good good wins. And one of the things that uh, nobody paid a lot of attention to, though they kept showing up, is Mike Fugman, classmate of mine, who was an amazing guy for uh, uh, being alert and quick. He was really lightning quick, although he only weighed about 150, uh, 55 pounds. And so in the Stonewall Jackson game, he covered a kickoff. And then at East, he went 68 yards with a fumble recovery. And then at Point Pleasant, we won the game because he blocked a punt and fell on it in the end zone near the end of the game. Uh, and he had partially blocked a punt earlier. And then, uh, you know, we play Highlands. And, again, he covers a short kickoff. In fact, I'll go through it all because I went back and made notes about it because one of the critical things that happened between my junior and senior year is Mike was scheduled to be the co-captain. Uh, he had ended up you know, scoring two uh, two touchdowns as a uh, uh, lineman, um, and he kept doing it. I mean, against uh, Newport, uh, you know, he had a fumble recovery uh, hmm. to, to allow to protect us uh, uh, our win, and then uh, you know against Manuel, even though he lost, he uh, recovered a fumble, he recovered an onside kick, uh, he blocked an extra point. Uh, he was just a uniquely quick and good guy, and. Uh, had a kind of nervous breakdown in the spring after the uh, spring of uh, oh. uh, 56, and so we didn't play. And we were shorthanded in 56 anyway, but it wasn't as if, you know, well, he was just another guy. He was clearly a, uh, for a lineman, a game changer. Uh, he was oh. just all over the field, and uh, he had a great junior year and I think would have been uh, uh, spectacular. I was delighted that he was elected the co-captain. And I just kind of filled in afterwards, but I filled in as the position as co-captain. I, nobody, nobody could fill in for all the things that um, he was able to accomplish on a uh, football field. That's interesting. I, I, I've heard the name, uh, but I didn't, I didn't realize all that. That, uh, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it's amazing, you know, what a player like that can do for you too. And like you said, not having him in that senior year, that, that had to be rough, really. 
Um, yeah, no, I mean, we won a couple games that year, my junior year, of that 6-4-1, uh, and one, a couple of those games cause it were because of Mike. Mm-hmm. Now, the Point Pleasant was 7-6, to six, so that was the only yeah. touchdown of the game. <laughs> yeah. So, right. uh, yeah, and, and Newport, you won by a touchdown, so you needed that touchdown. Uh, so, yeah, your your last two games, as we mentioned earlier, played manual and uh, and mail, and they were both just, you know, just they were just bigger, better, whatever, and those were pretty bad, really, 32-13 and, and 42-12. But uh, like I said, I, when I look back at Ashton's schedules, uh, you know, it's like, it's like you said too that not for one not everybody wanted to play Ashland because they did have a good reputation so you were pretty good if you were going to play Ashland you know so there was never any there's there's not a gimme game in that whole season really when I when I look at that uh at your all's 11 game season there's no game you go oh we're going we're to win that game for sure you know there's yeah no, no, I mean, and, and and it got worse the next year my senior year uh because everybody else decided to have a really good year and so <laughs> we ended up playing uh, teams that when we'd play them had lost one game. I think when we played Highlands, no, they had won. They were five and one, and nobody they'd beaten. They had nobody beaten. They'd beaten and scored a touchdown. <laughs> so they had five shutouts. Um, and as I went back and reviewed it at the time, you know, you just played one game at a time, and who knew you knew they were going to be good. But only Sorry. in retrospect did I discover that it was just one of those years where everybody else really decided it was a good time to be good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I- yeah, yeah, and like you said, really, it's hard to know, you know, how good that team maybe was. You know, it's, I mean, it's you finished two and eight, which is, you know, that's a disappointing record or whatever. But uh, when you look at who you all played, my goodness, and and really, um, not too many lopsided games. Mail Mail won twenty seven nothing in the last game of the year, and Portsmouth beat you twenty seven nothing. Portsmouth was Portsmouth was pretty good though. They were, you know, they were always challenging. To be well, that was one of the yeah. That was one of one of their better teams. In fact, uh, Huntington uh, East we lost uh, fourteen and us two. They were four and zero coming into the game, and the consensus mm-hmm. beforehand was they weren't quite as good as Portsmouth. <laughs> and so I thought, whoa, okay. Uh, but it just goes back to you know it was one of those years uh, where uh, uh, they all looked uh, uh, like that was a good year for them <laughs> to have a great year, and so. Uh, you know, we started off well against Catlettsburg uh, and uh, ran the ball. Our problem, to some extent, uh, was if you go back and look, people say, well, we were bigger in 56 than we were in 55, but that was only because Buddy Sexton and Gilly Lehman had graduated. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we had bigger backs, uh, but they weren't that much bigger. And the linemen mm-hmm. were pretty much all the same size. So we were, you know, outweighed out in a lot of games. But I think our biggest change, as I say, losing Mike, I just can't uh, overestimate. Because uh, you say he just was a spark plug and just uh, mm-hmm. energetic, enthusiastic. And then we lost a lot of good guys off that uh, uh, 55 team. Uh, you know, Ralph Clear was a, a wonderful uh, uh, runner, uh, defensive player. Yeah. Gilly and Buddy Sexton were lightning quick. That's the only way they survived at <laughs> the weight they were playing. And so, uh, uh, you, you know, you... you had a turnover. In fact, I had at the time, you know, who knows when you were a kid. I remember at the start of my senior season, um, uh, Miko wrote a note that, well, this is going to be a very inexperienced team. And I remember at the time thinking, well, you know, a lot of us played a lot, but a lot of us were uh, seven or eight. <laughs> we had nine lettermen uh, on the team. And so it really was an inexperienced team besides being um, a little smaller. And I think one of the things we lost with Ralph, uh, Buddy, and uh, Gilly was they were track stars. 
uh, and they mm. were fast. And so it gave us speed that we didn't have, uh, couldn't equal uh, my senior year. We had Robert Wright, who had a great high school career and was a great player. Uh, and even even with all the uh, difficulties, uh, you know, gained a lot of yards running. And oh, was yeah. just a wonderful defensive player. Uh, and so, as I say, clearly the uh, the best player on the team. Yeah, yeah. He had seven, 772 yards rushing that year, you know, by far your leader. And uh, opening game there, he rushed for 214 against Alexburg. So that's that's a pretty good start to that season. Uh, you, you all did win the opener 20-7. to seven, And uh, – but then proceeded to uh, lose one, two, three, four, five, six in a row. And I know six like in I a row. Said, I, I know how tough it is in Ashland when when the Tomcats are losing six in a row. And this is Rex's first. Uh, this is his first season. Did did Denver just kind of step aside, or do you, do you remember what happened there? You know, it's uh, always been a question in my mind. Uh, as I say, Denver was a great guy and uh, creative. As I say, nobody else was running. We would line up in a T, and then if we we're going to run the single wing, we just shifted the line one player over. So I was the center in the T formation, and Mike was the uh, left guard, and as we'd shift to the right, Mike became the center for the uh, hmm. single wing. And half the time, teams would go offside as we'd move to the right. Uh, and, uh, you know, only Denver would have thought, hey, let's run the single wing as well as the uh, T formation. And he had not announced uh, before the season started in '55, that if the team didn't, if he couldn't win seven games with that team, where well, he was going to uh, retire. So obviously, we won six games and tied one uh, that game against Highland. So, although McGill wrote a column saying before we played the last two games, and which was pretty clear we were probably going to lose, that he thought uh, Denver had already made up his mind, no matter what the games were. And I never could quite figure out. I didn't know. I got to know Denver a little. Um, but the next thing I knew, he was coaching at Raceland. Yeah. Uh, and so I couldn't figure out years later whether he could see that everybody, uh, Dick Vaughn, who was a great lineman on the uh, 55 team, graduated, and Don McPeak, who also was a good lineman. So we lost a lot of really, really good players uh, uh, off that. Uh, uh, what was Jones's? Uh, uh, Walter Jones, it was a, uh, you know, honorable mention, uh, all-state uh, end. So I yeah, don't know whether yeah. Denver looked down the pike and thought, you know, the next couple of years maybe aren't going to be so good. <laughs> maybe this is a good time right. not to be the coach. Um, yeah. And I originally thought at the time that, well, he just decided he'd, you know, had it with coaching, he was going to go into administration or something. And then uh, was a little surprised to find he was coaching at Raceland. Then I think he may have coached at Fairfield for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he was, I, he was. I never – yeah, I never heard a story as to. Uh, I guess the only background noise a little was because he did have this flair for well, we'll you know buy everybody socks and shirts and stuff, so they had to bring their own. That I think he may have spent <laughs> uh, more money than the athletic department and the school was used to. Uh, <laughs> and going to you know the summer camp for a week with you know I don't know how many guys he took, sixty, eighty people was you know not inexpensive. And oh. so I remember at the time hearing there was some grumbling that maybe Denver was uh, spending more money than the. Uh, uh, school wanted the athletic department and the school wanted to spend. And, and if you're going to spend money, you better win big. You know that's that's kind of the way it's always been there. It seems like. So, well, I think that's winning, right. Okay. Yeah, if you could spend, you know, if you were eight and two or nine and one, you could spend whatever you wanted. Uh, and as I said, I think um, now looking back at who left <laughs> after my junior year, which was going to be clear, uh, and while you had a good sophomore group coming along who obviously then had a great season in 58 
but in those days, as I say, uh, in fact, Herbie was about the only uh, sophomore who played regularly. Uh, you know, you looked yeah. at it and thought, well, this is going to be a tough year or two. Uh, and so he might have just decided, well, I'm going to get fired <laughs> if we uh, can't do better. Yeah, but it was too bad because he was he, he was fun to play for. Yeah, and he was a good coach. And like I say, an innovator. Who would have thought single wing and and, uh, and T formation and and alternate them? And my goodness, he, he he did a he was a really good coach. He really was. Uh, yeah. And I know uh, Rex. Uh, of course, that was Rex's first season. You know, as, as head coach, and and his first two seasons were uh, weren't great. You know, that that year you guys were two and eight. The next year he's four and six. But you know, things really took off after that for him. So, you know, you, and, and, you know, we, I'm, I've seen it through the years where, you know, programs go in cycles. It, it's tough to be good every year. I mean, it really is. And, uh, and as you said, this year, Herb, Herb was, he's the only sophomore on the roster. So he may have, you know, I know Fillmore, Fillmore's not on the roster, but he played because he carried three times. So there's probably a few others that, that well, actually they put, just, yeah, by, by the last game, um, we ended up with, uh, at home, uh, seems to me it was uh, probably the Danville game that uh, they started to play. And then when we went down to Mail, um, I think a couple of the, those kids played. But but basically, yeah. as I say, uh, it was just not the tradition then. You know, and some right. of these, you know, Herbie was so good that he obviously uh, made a difference. But, you know, you could argue it uh, might have been made more sense to bring a couple of those kids up earlier. Yeah, yeah, especially or, or maybe play him a lot more. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Uh, of course, yeah, Herb rushed for 40, 40 yards in the in your all's last game against Mail, you know, and he, he ended up with one hundred and thirteen yards rushing uh, yeah. that year and and threw a pass and you know and I yeah. he, he told I don't know if you, you've listened to the one with uh, him and Dick Fillmore yet. It's really good. You'll have to listen to it if you haven't. It's one before this one. Uh, he uh, they he talked about putting the socks on. Uh, you know, y'all had the 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 socks that you had to actually tape down, you know, you had the long socks and yep. then the knee pad went over those. Well, nobody told him that he had to tape the socks down. So he put the socks on, they gave him the socks and he put the socks on and he went out and of course they're drooping down. <laughs> He's about ready to trip over them and he can't understand what's going on because nobody else was just doing that. And uh, I, I can't remember what, who he said. I don't know if it, I don't think it was you, but anyway, well, I think somebody. It was me. No, I think he he maintains I was the one that, as a senior, took pity on a sophomore and told him how to put his <laughs> socks on. Okay, I I that's right. Yeah. So well, yeah, it was a funny season. You know, we went to Huntington uh, East. At Johnny Fry who was a great back who actually became a basketball player at Duke, so I got to know him there. But you know, they're four and zero when we go play them, and we lose yeah. fourteen to nothing on two long runs. Otherwise, we play them dead even. Hmm. And we go to Ironton, and uh, they get ahead 19 and nothing, and we close uh, to get to 19 and 14, and have a good shot toward the end. And we just, you know, we couldn't couldn't close the deal on a lot yeah. of these uh, uh, a lot of these times. Again, even Point Pleasant, the score looks terrible, uh, right. 32 to 18. But you know, at one point it's 19 to 12 in the second half, and then they. Uh, 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 it's 26 to 12, and then it's 26 to 19, and then they get a big run, or 26 right. to 18. So you know we're we never felt, uh, you know, until you really got to even the Highlands game, we never felt that we were you know out of it, uh, you know, getting right. wiped out. Uh, Highlands was five and one and four shutouts, as I say, or five shutouts maybe. We were the first team they beat that got a touchdown. 
Wow. Uh, and it, uh, that was where we got to the longest losing streak in history. But, you know, it turned out, if you looked at it, uh, we got more yards rushing and more yards passing, and we're even on first downs in that game, but you'd never know it by the score. So I remember right. playing that game. I remember uh, Dick Callahan coming in toward the end being the quarterback, and uh, I remember giving him um, an idea for a play that turned out to be the touchdown play near the end of the game. But, again, we felt uh, we're holding our own. We just <laughs> somehow fumbled a lot, had trouble uh, making ends meet. But then we have to talk about Lafayette. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, we, we, we have a big moment still, though, and uh, it's, it's interesting. In the book, you're in there. Uh, you know, every almost anybody that scored a touchdown is in there, and, and uh, there it is, John Koskinen, uh, interception, touchdown, there we go. So tell me about that game a little bit. Uh, well, it's a uh, muddy night. We played uh, actually in the 55 game when we played uh, Ironton. Uh, the 14 to 12 game, it's muddy. And Denver was smart enough. We practiced on a muddy field all week. Uh, and we didn't do that for Lafayette, but it was a muddy, muddy night. And the game report shows there were 11 punts and 10 fumbles. Uh, oh, it was yeah. just that uh, messy a night there. So, you know, we're one and six. People are sort of grumbling. Um, we're not, I don't think, I guess it was known that it was the longest losing streak in history. And so obviously <laughs> it's a good time to win a game. Uh, <laughs> And so Herbie now is playing for us and with us, and uh, so uh, and is doing a good job. And so he uh, scores a touchdown early on, and then in the fourth quarter, uh, actually a quarterback that Putnam named Danny Shepard had been the quarterback for uh, Putnam, and then uh, Joe had been the backup, and then Joe Hearn became the quarterback. And Danny moved after the our junior year, moved to Lexington and played quarterback for Lafayette. And I always thought that Danny was the one who threw the screen pass uh, that I intercepted. But I think it turned out to be another quarterback. And any event, somewhere in the middle of the fourth quarter or so, it's, uh, we're up, uh, uh, I think we're up seven to nothing, either six or seven. Extra points were hard to come by. And it was a screen pass. But what happened was the guy who was blocking me must not have remembered it was a screen pass because he's supposed to let me go. And so he blocks, and by the time I get off the block to charge the passer, I'm right in the middle of the screen. So the quarterback throws the ball. And I played a lot of sandlot football, so, you know, I used to, you know, play quarterback and end, and, you know, you throw balls, you know, you play three aside, everybody catches the ball. So I nonchalantly caught the ball, and um, it was close to them, I think it was 15 or 20 yards away, and there was one uh, guy, I think it was the guy who was supposed to get the pass there, and I just... Uh, took a step to the right, and Ed Sexton blocked him, and I scored a touchdown, and it was <laughs> it's just great. So the headlines were Conley and Koskinen scored touchdowns, um, and so Herbie and I went down in history together there. Uh, oh, but wow. it was a uh, you know it was a great night. Uh, it was uh, uh, you know it's just an important game for us. Uh, it wasn't it was the Lafayette was one of the teams that was not having a great year itself. <laughs> in retrospect, right. I thought, well, if everybody was having a kind of mediocre year, we would have done a whole lot better. Uh, but it was, um, you know, if you're a lineman and you ever score a touchdown, uh, oh. that's great. That's why we kidded Mike Fugman having scored two touchdowns. He was a le- one of the leading scorers in the 55 team. Uh, you know, he used to take a lot of uh, friendly kidding about uh, mis- being Mr. Touchdown. Because, you know, if you're a lineman, you just don't score a touchdown very often. Yeah, and we have that the the picture of you at that game. Your your second hands is it with your uncle or 
somebody no, in the guy, nice guy. It's a nice guy named Jack Stone, who was an executive okay. at Ashland Oil, and his family and our family were very close friends. He was a great friend of my dad's. Okay. And I think that might have been Father's Night. And so Jack was standing in for my dad. Oh, uh, wow. And so it was a logical guy for me to shake hands with after the game. Yeah, man, yeah, what what a great picture they got. I I mean, I'm, I can't believe somebody was still around at that time at the end of the game to to do that. But that's great. Yeah, no, uh, it is a great picture, and you have to realize it was a muddy field. <laughs> in fact, Ronnie Perry, I think, is in that picture, covered with mud. <laughs> so I don't know how I never like you, I never quite figured out who was standing out in the field uh, <laughs> to take that picture. Yeah, but there obviously it was right there. So, and we we I know that at the newspaper I used that picture probably five or six times at least. Uh, <laughs> it, it it just told some history or something. I don't know. I really liked it, but, uh, and just like the, the 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 emotions of it, and you know, good it was a good picture. Uh, as you say, yeah, you guys are playing now. You're playing Danville again. Danville was really good. Still is. They're you know they got a great football tradition, and and they beat you all twenty five twelve. Like you say, another really. Pretty competitive game. I mean, uh, Callahan passed for 138 yards. Uh, yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you something about Herb too. That that was his only touchdown. That was his first Tomcat touchdown. Uh, his only touchdown that sophomore year. So that's pretty cool to have a uh, to have that in common with Herb that uh, that one night for sure. Yeah, and in fact, Danville, when I looked up, was four and two. And coming into the game, the two games they had lost to were the number four and number eight teams in the state. And the year before, they'd been nine and one and had most of the guys back. So wow. it was, um, you know, a pretty interesting uh, uh, group to uh, group to play. And again, um, you know, they had a kid who was an all-state back. Uh, it was a great re- uh, runner, and so they just uh, they were tough. They were big, and they were tough to stop. Yeah. Matt, you you didn't play any other sports, right? Uh, at Ashland, I, I played I played tennis of all things. My uh, you, senior, I I had fiddled around with tennis for a while, but and and, uh, and there were a couple Jim Jim Rutledge and uh, George Rupert. Rutledge was a track runner, and Rupert was uh, had played football until his knees hurt. He was a big guy, six five or so. Uh, yeah. They were great tennis players. George went and played at uh, Kentucky for four right. years, and Jim Rutledge, who was a uh, four forty uh, yard. Uh, uh, Dash guys played at Marshall, so that uh, and they were a year ahead. Think a year ahead of me. Uh, and anyway, so the Ashland tennis team was really terrific my junior year. So my senior year, when I show up to play, uh, we're not quite as good. But it was one of those things. Everybody said, "Oh, here comes Ashland," and then they discovered well, we were kind of more average <laughs> as we played. But I still yeah, play I, tennis. It's a great thing to play. You know, you can't play football when you get to be uh, older. Exactly. But you can play tennis. Even or, or pickleball, which is almost like tennis. So you know exactly, uh, exactly. That's, that's that's real big in Ashland now, by the way. Pickleball for some reason. Oh, good. But, uh, yeah, it really is. It's a you know people are are picking it up, and yeah, yeah. I, I knew I know George you know very well, and and his of course his his family they were good they were good athletes, and uh, I think George was a uh, wasn't George a kicker uh, maybe George was a kicker. In fact, he is trying to remember if on that fifty four team. Either 53 or 54, his knees were bad, but he yeah, he played on the 54 team. Now, what does it say? Let's see, Rupert. I'm, I'm checking the Mark Maynard. Uh, George <laughs> Rupert weighed 230 pounds. They don't tell you how tall he was. He was not overweight. He was about 6'4". Oh, he he's a big guy, yeah. Yeah, he had played at Coles, and then he just had bad knees, so he punted. 
Uh, and he punted mm. for the 54 team, and there was a game midway through the year. He punted, and uh, whoever we were playing in, in the stadium, I was there, Was looked like the guy was going to make it for a touchdown, and George, bad knee and all, got him at the sideline. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, that's pretty fast for a guy with a bad knee. Uh, but he yeah. was a great punter. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, he he claims to have you know one of the longest punts they've ever had. I forget what it, what he said it was, and I don't I don't really I, I'm not going back and checking everybody's punts. Let's, let's find out if that's true. Or not. So, no, he was, uh, he, but he really was a uh, yeah. He was yeah. a uh, uniquely good punter just because he was he was tall, so he had long legs, so he got a great swing into it, and he was strong. Uh, right. But as I say, he was uh, he was a better tennis player than even uh, as a puncher. Footballer and played um, on the team at Kentucky uh, and the SEC was was tough. He was good. Uh, he really was a great right. tennis player. First, I know you went on to Duke and you went on uh, on to great things, John. Looking looking back on your Ashland life, though, what 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 has made you you know want to come back and and, and to, you know you've done things in the community to help the community. You've you know what what has been that that draw for you uh, to do that. Well, it was just a, I thought, a remarkable place to grow up. Uh, I, I loved my years in Ashland. Obviously, I loved playing sports uh, and uh, just had great friends I still have. And as I, you, know, you may remember a few years ago, the only graduation speech I've ever given, I gave in, uh, in the stadium in Ashland. Uh, once I was IRS commissioner, people thought, hey, that'd be neat. Uh, and I, so I tried to get the kids to understand I left Ashland to go to Duke, and I literally didn't know anybody outside of Ashland. And the point I was trying to make was it's a great place to grow up, and it's a great springboard to go on somewhere. And you don't have to have connections. You don't have to know a lot of people. If you just go out and work hard and uh, do your best, you can accomplish a lot of interesting things uh, coming yeah. you know, from a relatively uh, small town like Ashland. And so I just feel uh, it was my springboard to um, uh, going forward. And I've always felt you need to, uh, you know, kind of, you can play it forward, but you also need to play it back. And so um, I've come back to, I think I missed the first reunion because I was at uh, law school. Uh, but, uh, and in fact, maybe I was in England, I guess that's where I was, uh, studying international law. But since then, I've been to every Ashland reunion and a number of other occasions yeah. just because, um, you know, I love the people. Half my class didn't go to college. They would, you know, in those days you could work at Armco or Ashland Oil, San Salve, right. and you could make a good career and retire very comfortably on a kind of comfortable pension. Um, right. yeah. And it was just the other thing about it I always found was you got to know everybody because everybody went to Ashland High School. Uh, you were if, if your father worked at Ashland Oil, your father worked uh, in the rolling mill or was you know you, you could be on from the quote other side of the tracks and we all just went to school together and so mm -hmm. you just got to know and like people for being people and i always felt it gave me an understanding and a comfort level uh with everybody uh that i've met and whether you know i've never looked down on people who weren't quite as successful or had difficulties because you know i grew up with a lot of people who came from backgrounds that weren't overly successful and it mm -hmm. was just mm -hmm. from my mind in fact my kids when they grew were growing up in Washington we purposely live in an integrated neighborhood but you know, I used to kid we're the blackest people on the block because these were doctors and lawyers and well established and I always thought my concern for my kids was they didn't get to know people across the economic spectrum uh, yeah. people coming from uh, lower income backgrounds struggling where you know um, money every week and every month is a challenge and I just felt that um, 
you know, coming out of Ashland, I just got to know people as people. They were wonderful, uh, and it was a great experience. And I've always, uh, always just loved going back. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I tell you, I just just from dealing with uh, with people uh, uh, that have grown up in Ashland, and and so many of them are 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 much like you that they 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 don't forget where they're from, you know. Uh, and and I think that's that's just so important and so and so really neat. I, and I know, you know, part of your all thing, uh, Matt Cheney does such a good job with your class reunions. I mean, she does better than anybody could have, could ever do. I think. I mean, she's the example of how you set up class reunions to keep it going, you know, for as long as possible. And she's done a great job with that for sure. And and yeah, you know, no, kudos no. for her for that. Yeah. Now we uh, we all <laughs> uh, keep encouraging and nudging her to keep it up because she's uh, just done uh, she and, and with support of a number of classmates in the area. But she's oh, yeah. in the last uh, twenty years been the driver. Uh, yeah. She's, and, and, and the rest and, of us are are beneficiaries of it. Uh, and uh, and so you know I'm uh, you know I look back and uh, Roger Brown is still around and Tom, Ronnie Perry, uh, uh, Joe yeah. Hearn. I haven't seen Joe for probably a few reunions, but I was there. Uh, a couple of years ago, and so I, I convinced everybody we had to have a reunion for our 80th birthday uh, because our next one isn't for another couple of years yet. Um, and so, you know, it's been just great to keep up with them, uh, guys I played with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you never forget your teammates, and, you know, uh, and I, I'm sure, you know, you'll, you'll never forget that touchdown. You'll never forget, uh, you know, playing in Putnam Stadium. And, you know, I was thinking about, too, uh, Putnam Stadium, you know, when you played there, it was 20 years old. That's it. It was 20 years old, you know? And uh, so it was still, that's a fairly new stadium at that point, you know? Uh, well, yeah, when you're a kid, you never really pay much attention. 20 years old sounds like it's really old. In retrospect, only when we were doing the fundraising for the new, the stadium renovations, did I realize it was about 20 years old when I played in it. And I thought, you know, it was really relatively new. Although the dressing rooms were always crummy, <laughs> even when it was new. You'd, you'd be proud of those dressing rooms now. Even even the visitor side has has very nice dressing room and and the home side as well. And and you know it's a beautiful place. That uh, they do a great job of you know with the grounds crew. I know, I know you came there on the uh, the day the 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 whole place got flooded for what was supposed to be the, the opening night, but uh, it. Uh, it's really held up since then. They've, you know, done some work to, to fix that, of course. But uh, it, it's still a. There's something about that place, you know, that that uh, is is a little. There's a mystique or something about it. And I know even opponents, you know, didn't mind coming in and playing. You know, they wanted to play there. You know, and that's the kind of place it is. And you won't find too many high schools that are like that. No, in fact, uh, then especially, and even now, but then. Uh, it was really uh, one of the few enclosed stadiums. It was a real stadium as opposed to just bleachers on both sides of the field. And, right. uh, uh, you know, it was unique, and certainly in eastern Kentucky, uh, it has a wonderful history. And as you say, opponents like to come because it was impressive to play in a real stadium. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, of course, Ashland had their way with them most of the time, you know, through the years. But, it, you know, I know uh, – Ashland uh, worked up a series with Raceland, and Raceland had Ashland had never been to Raceland. This was the first year they played at Raceland for the first time uh, in in history this year because Raceland always enjoyed coming to Putnam Stadium and playing, like you say, playing in a in a stadium. Most most places are are a field with with uh, with bleachers on them. You know, there's there's not too many stadiums 
So uh, very unique and, and you know, a, a great place. But uh, anyway, you're, you've been very kind with your time. I certainly appreciate it. And uh, I, I know people uh, uh, will, will look forward to hearing from you uh, about these seasons. And, uh, you know, just we're, we're real proud of you, John, for all you've done uh, throughout your life. It's just uh, an impressive an impressive list of things. It just is. And uh, I'm, I'm truly glad to be able to call you a friend. Well, it's my pleasure both being here. Uh, you are a great friend. Uh, you yourself have made wonderful contributions over the years. And this podcast is terrific. <laughs> it's been the ones I've been able to listen to. Uh, I give you a great window on, uh, you know, high school football generally and Ashland football and Ashland in particular. So uh, uh, yeah. good luck with it as you go forward. I'm looking forward to the next versions. Okay. And that's, that's uh, for, for now. We're going to sign off. Thank you, John Costanen. And, we will catch you next time on Tomcat Tales Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>